Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture, and thank you for joining us, letting us be part of your day as we wrap up the month of March. Hope you are safe and well. Please be very, very careful. Be safe. Coming up on our program today, we will talk with FSA Administrator Richard Fordyce. We'll talk about uh, the CRP acres that have been accepted and how that process will now play out. We'll talk about loan extensions and uh, new deadlines and things like that because of COVID-19. So an update from the FSA administrator. We're going to talk with the CEO of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, Colin Woodall, how the beef industry is responding to COVID-19. What about concerns in uh, packing plants and keeping the supply chain open? We'll talk about all of that. And Jim Monroe with the National Pork Producers Council will be joining us, as you've probably heard, for the second year in a row, National Pork Producers Council has had to cancel World Pork Expo. We'll talk with Jim Monroe a little bit later about that decision. But we're going to start things off with DTN reporter Todd Neely. Todd, good to talk with you. Hope you're well. Yeah, doing well, Mike. Thanks for having me. Well, some things to talk about. Let's. Uh, yesterday, we talked with Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. He is obviously frustrated and upset about EPA basically using COVID-19 as uh, its justification not to change its uh, policy on granting the small refinery exemption. So we're kind of back where we were and wondering what EPA is going to do. Yeah, I think so. You know, it's been a long road. It's been a long legal fight. Uh, a lot of things that have been going on to, you know, the past several years. And I think, you know, we're at a point now where on some level it makes some sense for EPA to wait. And what I mean by that is, you know, if we've got these appeals that are pending uh, before the Tenth Circuit, it's, uh, you know, it's really, in a way, I, I don't think we're going to see those uh, those appeals go anywhere. I think it's probably going to it's probably going to end. But I think until until then, you know, EPA is kind of in a position here, you know, where uh, if they if they implement something nationwide at this point in time, uh, it could it could be upended potentially. So I mean, on that front, it makes sense. But yet, um, you know, it just seems like every step of the way, the agency has been, uh, you know, reluctant to really do a whole lot with the program, um, at least on the ethanol side of things. And I think. Um, you know, this in some ways was sort of an easy out for the agency at this point in time when we faced this crisis, um, you know, to kind of walk away from the issue. And, you know, it's it's hard to say how long this is all going to last and, you know, how things are going to play out. And so, in a way, it, uh, it looks like the agency has bought itself some time. And uh, so here we are. We're still waiting. Given EPA's track record on these small refinery exemptions and given the state of the oil industry right now, I wouldn't be at all surprised, even though the ethanol industry is certainly hurting, I wouldn't be at all surprised that they wind up granting some of these, more of these uh, waivers requests that are that they have before them right now in queue. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, um, the agency does have, have the ability to grant at least seven that we know of because, you know, looking back on the history of the program and what the agency has done in terms of extensions on those, uh, on those waivers, uh, there are at least seven companies that have originally – um, you know, did receive the waivers and, and according to the agencies, uh, were in need of the waivers. And so, 
Um, I don't know that we're going to continue to see the same numbers that we've seen in the past few years, but I do think there'll be some that are granted. Um, you know, the agency has, uh, in a sense, come forward and said that it's it's putting a pause on things. But, um, you know, without this question really being answered in the court yet, it still really is up to the agency. And uh, I think, as we've seen, they've, they've been more than willing to be lenient when it comes to, to granting the waivers. Meanwhile, Todd, uh, an interesting court ruling that has an impact on commodity checkoffs. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we had a federal judge in Montana the end of last week essentially throw out a case that involved 15 state beef councils. Um, and basically the court agreed at this point because USDA has come forward and, you know, they've made, uh, they've made memorandums of understanding and agreements with these, uh, these checkoffs. Uh, that basically uh, allows the agency to more or less control the speech, the First Amendment rights speech that we've been talking about. Uh, and so basically the judge said that uh, because USDA is doing this and because government speech is not protected, um, you know, claims made by RCAF USA that, um, you know, the, there was a violation of the First Amendment going on are just uh, just not true. And so I suspect RCAP is going to come out and, and possibly appeal this. I don't know what direction they can honestly go at this point, but uh, it definitely brings a bit more certainty to uh, the beef checkoff. Meanwhile, on the trade front, interesting, some senators are saying that maybe we need to hold off on, on jumping into uh, getting the USMCA started right now because of COVID-19. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I, you know, in some, in some regards, it makes some sense. Although through this, we've, uh, we've managed to leave the trade borders open between Mexico and Canada. Uh, but it really makes you wonder to what extent that that's really open. I mean, it's, you know, there's so much uncertainty going on, not only within markets, but in with, you know, within the borders themselves. I mean, we're seeing, you know, we saw photos yesterday of the Mexican border. It's usually pretty packed and pretty busy, and there's nobody coming across at this point. And so it really makes you wonder uh, how this has really affected trade. And, you know, we may not know until months down the road when this thing all clears uh, where we stand on that. But I guess in some some respects it might make some sense to hold off on the MS, MSN, uh, USMCA, but uh, you kind of hope that uh, the trade is really proceeding as it should. And, and finally, Todd, I mentioned this earlier, and we're going to be talking with uh, the National Pork Producers Council a little bit later in the program, but the World Pork Expo canceled, and some may have forgotten it was canceled last year, too, because of African swine fever concerns, so two years in a row. Yeah, that's really unprecedented. You know, uh, we thought last year when it canceled that that was, you know, pretty unusual in and of itself with, with the swine flu uh, spreading around. You know, it was one of those one of those points in time where you'll be like, well, you know, we'll think back on this and remember where we were this time. Uh, but here we are, you know, another year later uh, with the same, same type of action. And it, uh, it really underscores the seriousness of what's going on. I think, um, you know, we had all that excitement at the end of last year with trade, uh, some trade issues opening up for, for a lot of ag producers. And, uh, now here we are wondering what's going to happen. And I think, um, you know, really, it's it's really just part of what we're seeing nationwide. But it, in some respects, it's it's really kind of unbelievable. It's just amazing uh, how this this pandemic has impacted and touched really every aspect of our lives, and uh, we deal with yeah. every day. It seems to be something new that uh, we're dealing with that, that 
is changed in our lives because of this. Todd, thanks a lot. Stay safe. Absolutely. Appreciate you being with us. Take care. Yeah, you too, Mike. Thank you very much. DTN reporter Todd Neely. Well, some things to talk about with the FSA Administrator Richard Fordyce. We'll talk about uh, the Ag Department accepting over 3 million acres into the CRP following the first general sign-up in four years, and also some uh, changes on some deadlines for loans and things like that. We'll get an update from Richard Fordyce, FSA Administrator, coming up next right here on AOA. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, lots to talk about with our next guest, the administrator for the Farm Service Agency, Richard Fordyce. Richard, thank you for joining us. Hope you are well. Let's talk about um, business not as usual for your county offices across the country. Uh, Have to make some changes, of course, because of COVID-19. How is that going? Well, Mike, it is good to talk to you this morning, and yes, I am well, um, and I hope you are as well. Um, Certainly, uh, you know, we are operating under uh, a different operating status due to COVID-19. We are uh, are open for business in the respect that we are still serving our customers, um, albeit remotely. Um, We are not, obviously, allowing customers in the service centers. But we have uh, we have a we have an ability to to communicate either via phone, email, and other uh, communication um, modes. That, from what I understand, obviously some some things are a little slower um, as far as um, you know getting applications finished and those kind of things uh, in some cases. But in other cases, we're we're making great progress and we're we're out there um, uh, serving American agriculture. Uh, the very best way that we can, and um, the the Farm Service Agency typically has not been um, has not been an agency that is familiar with working remotely. Uh, we know that we're a customer facing agency, and that you know we we deliver services to farmers and ranchers uh, across the counter, and that's always kind of been a stance of, of the Farm Service Agency. We are learning very quickly about ways to adopt um, new new methods of communication and new ways to, to work with folks, um, accepting digital signatures, for example, on, on different kinds of program applications. Um, and we continue to learn every day. And, and I would just say that our folks are really embracing, um, you know, this, this opportunity um, to be able to serve America's farmers and ranchers and, and are doing a great job doing it. Um, and again, um, you know, we, we learn, maybe learn new ways of doing things each day, and we continue to incorporate those 
um, so that we can do the very best we can um, to provide service. So when you look at the, the business being done remotely now, there have been some changes as far as some uh, loan deadlines and things like that. Bring us up to date. So absolutely. So we, you know, Farm Service Agency has two sides of the house, the program side and, and the loan side. Um, although we do provide uh, some, t- some loans on the program side, those would be farm storage facility loans and marketing assistance loans. Um, and I can talk about those in just a second. But from the, from the farm loan um, perspective, there are, um, there are procedural timelines, for example, to file an application, uh, to provide additional information on an application. And, and those are in policy and have been for a long time. And, and we, we realize and certainly appreciate that uh, a borrower um, may not be able to meet those, uh, those policy timelines. And so we are being very flexible um, offering, uh, to, uh, offering to extend those deadlines uh, to make an application, to complete an application um, from, the, from the borrower's perspective and also from our staff's perspective. So, um, you know, I guess my, my guidance would be uh, if you are a farm loan borrower, um, to have a conversation with, with the staff member that you're working with, um, with, with your loan your loan application, loan repayment, all of those things, um, we are going to offer, you know, the utmost flexibility that we can. And in a lot of cases, those, um, those deadlines, those timelines, they vary depending on the loan. They vary depending on some other things. So, you know, again, my guidance would be is just to contact your loan officer and, and have a conversation because we are going to do whatever we need to do from an agency's perspective to, um, to again, as I mentioned earlier, to serve our customers, um, understanding that um, understanding that those timelines in some cases will be met and in other cases will not, and, and we're going to do everything we can to make sure we get done what we need to do for that, for that customer. Um, from, uh, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. So, sorry, Mike. So from the farm, uh, farm storage facility loan, you know, obviously, those that's the program that, that we loan money on drain bins and a whole bunch of other things. Some of those loan payments are due, um, and, and we have mechanisms that folks can make those payments. But if you're having an issue um, either uh, understanding how to get a check um, or how to get payment to the office, certainly, again, reach out. Um, we've got some um, we've got some ways that we can accommodate that, and um, and we want to offer flexibility on that as well. And then finally, on marketing assistance loans, um, those loans have historically have always been a, a nine month uh, maturity. Um, we are going to, according to um, uh, some some language that was passed, that extends to twelve months. And so we're working through what that process will be and how we'll do that. Um, but again, if you have a marketing assistance loan that is about to expire, and there aren't many given the date on the calendar right now, most of those loans don't don't uh, mature for uh, a few weeks yet. But if you are a if you are a producer that has a marketing assistance loan that is about to mature, um, again, would urge you to contact your local farm service agency office to get um, to get better guidance on what your options are. 
yeah, call the office, don't go by there. Uh, we're talking with Richard Fordyce, FSA Administrator. Richard, uh, I want to talk to you about the 3.4 million acres accepted into the CRP. Some thought that number would be higher. So, um, so I, you know, I don't know that I would comment on, on, on what folks thought the sign-up would be. Uh, I would say that, um, you know, we were pretty pleased with the number of offers, the number of acres that were offered, and then uh, certainly um, based on on all of these offers ranking uh, according to the points that they were able to um, to acquire in their offers, uh, the number that we accepted, 89% of those offers, um, you know, I think, I think folks should be happy about that uh, and 3.4 million acres. I think... You know, we're in a situation right now where we have a couple of uh, a couple of things um, that we certainly are are aware of and, and want to do the very best we can to get those acres um, back into the program. You know, one is the Farm Bill um, incrementally increases the cap. Um, this year, the cap is 24.5 million acres. It will incrementally increase over the life of the Farm Bill to 27 million acres. And we have a good bit of acres that are going to be expiring, not only in fiscal year 2020, but also um, two or three years into the future. And so, um, so we all, we still have some room under the cap with the 3.4 million acres that that were accepted, but we also have other acres that go into that 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 help get us to the cap. Our continuous practices um, right now, we are in the middle of a CRP grassland sign up. And we've got a couple of pilots um, that we will um, actually assign up right now that's ongoing for the ship pilot in the five prairie pothole states. So a lot of, uh, still a lot of activity around CRP uh, over and above what the general, uh, the general sign up would have, would have had to have offered. So, you know, we, we monitor it very closely and, um, um, and know that we've got some room and, um, you know, look, we Obviously, very conscious of that and look at that. But 3.4 million acres is a good bit of acres. The first general sign-up that, that uh, landowners have had the opportunity to participate in since 2016. So a lot of interest based on the number of offers and I think the number of acres that were offered and ultimately accepted. And finally, Richard, have you have your offices begun contacting producers about whether they were accepted into the CRP and will the Will COVID-19 slow that process down, perhaps? So uh, we will notify county offices um, late this week or early next week of those that were accepted and those that were not. Uh, the local county office is the one that sends out that communication. And, and we anticipate if there is any slowdown, it won't be very much. Um, you know, again, we're learning uh, we're learning about new ways to communicate and ways to be able to get those those kinds of notifications out. Um, so it would not be it would be my expectation that we would not have a, a great deal of delay in notifying folks. And so they ought to be they ought to be expecting a notification one way or the other. Um, you know, next week, late next week. Um, so fairly soon. And, uh, and again, it would be my expectation that we'd be able to do that, um, you know, very closely to what our original timeline was. All right, Richard, thanks for the update. Stay safe and we'll stay in touch with you. Okay. Thank you. All right, Mike. Appreciate it. Thank you. Take care. Richard Fordyce, FSA Administrator. Up next, we'll talk again with Colin Woodall, CEO of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. 
We'll talk about how the beef industry is dealing with COVID-19. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice, with powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, so many questions about the impact of COVID-19 on various aspects of the food chain. Joining us now is the CEO of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, Colin Woodall. Colin, thank you for joining us again. There's been a lot of questions, a lot of scrutiny on the beef supply chain, especially what's happening uh, in plants and uh, the pricing, uh, and especially what the price farmers are getting for cattle. I know you're looking at this closely. What can you tell us? We know that the demand has been extremely strong at the retail level, and because of that, the prices for boxed beef coming out of the packers has increased. But you're right, we have not seen a corresponding increase in the price that cattle producers are seeing. It's because of that squeeze in the middle of our chain right now with the big four packers controlling 80%. Now we have seen an effort by the packers to uh, to try to address that. We have seen some aggressive bidding. We have seen some efforts by Tyson to pay uh, an additional $5 a hundred weight. And when you look at where the futures board has been versus some of those payments, uh, they have made an effort. Uh, there's a lot of your listeners that will say that they haven't done enough. And we continue to put pressure on them and have conversations with them about the need to ensure that all segments of the beef industry supply chain are healthy financially in order to get us through not only this crisis, but the future. So you're in constant contact with those Packers? We're talking to the Packers uh, almost daily, and uh, all four of them. And uh, that having that relationship, being able to have that conversation, again, I believe has helped in seeing some of the actions that they have taken. And we're going to continue to make sure that they are looking at that uh, uh, effort to pass some of that profit back to the cattle producers. Now we're starting to get in a situation where uh, there's going to be some concerns there because we've seen a packing plant in Sauterton, Pennsylvania, a beef plant that is uh, not taking cattle anymore because of uh, sicknesses among their staff and not having enough staff to run that plant. From the get-go, we have been focused on keeping the beef supply chain moving because we know if we have a plant shut down or a slowdown, it's going to make the market situation even worse than what we're seeing right now, and we're about to test that because today is the first day that this plant's going down, so we're going to see what the ripple impact is going to be on the markets. Uh, we know it's going to be significant, and I'm afraid that as we see this continue to spread throughout rural America, we're going to see more plants with that exact same situation. Again, the packing plants are doing everything they can to try to keep open, and USDA is doing everything they can to keep inspectors in plants, but if people are sick, people are sick. They can't come to work. And I'm afraid that, uh, again, as I said, we're going to start seeing more of that, Mike. We've talked about this before. Uh, you identified that early on as a potential weakness in the in the supply chain. If those workers can't work, 
then we have a problem. Those workers can't work, it means cattle can't move, and then that means markets fall out, and it means that our situation is even worse than it currently is. Uh, so that's that's why we have to be very cognizant of this, and that's why we're asking everybody, follow the CDC rules, follow social distancing, be careful, make sure that you're not spreading this, because rural America is next. We're seeing it right now. Uh, it's going to tax the uh, health care system in rural America, and uh, it's going to start taxing us if people get sick and just flat can't come to work. So it is uh, it, it is high on our, our mind right now. Uh, you know, we are also looking at the retail. As I said, we've had a couple of great weeks here where we've had some uh, very strong demand. But you know what? People's refrigerators are getting full. And as we start seeing these shelves get restocked, they're not clearing out as quickly as they were. So that slowdown means that that box beef price that the Packers have been charging is also going to get slimmer. Uh, and you take that, you couple it with uh, uh, with the potential of uh, more plants going down. It, it's not a rosy financial picture for us in the cattle business. Yeah, we saw this coming, that that initial surge of retail buying would offset the loss of the restaurant and food service sector. But now, as you said, as freezers fill up and consumers get stocked up at home, then that retail meat uh, buying slows down, then it really backs up and slows down the market. That's right. And we were having a lot of luck in being able to take inventory that was headed towards food service and get that rerouted to retail. Uh, we had a, a lot of success in making that happen, and that helped get these meat cases restocked again. But now that we have done that, now that we have filled up these meat cases, we're going to realize very quickly or remind everybody very quickly that food service accounts for about 50% of all the beef that we sell. So uh, if we start losing that full 50%, which we haven't experienced yet because of our ability to reroute it, uh, that's going to start resonating here pretty quick for us. We're talking with Colin Whittall, CEO of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Colin, let's look at the export side of things. And what about the calls from some senators to kind of uh, slow down on uh, fully implementing the new USMCA? You know, for us, uh, that that's not that big of a deal. And the reason why is we were already operating under the uh, original NAFTA. And for us, the beef industry, USMCA didn't provide anything more than NAFTA had already provided. So as long as we can continue to operate under the rules that we were, uh, then that's that's not going to be a big hit for us in the cattle business. But it is a bigger issue of exports as a whole. We were expecting some great opportunities in exports here in 2020. When you look back at the beginning of the year with implementation of several new deals, uh, we expected this thing just to be gangbusters. And because of COVID-19 and its impact globally, we have not been able to capitalize on that. Now, we, we definitely hold hope that when we get into the second part of the year that we can catch up on some of that, but I don't think it's going to be enough to truly make 2020 the year of the exports that we expected it to be yeah that's a good point uh, I, I and i've said this before it wasn't that long ago we were starting this year with a, a lot of optimism and a lot of that was on the uh, livestock sector the meat sector and uh, increased demand around the world amazing how that has changed so dramatically in such a short period of time 
the optimism's gone. There's no doubt about that, Mike, and that's what's concerning here. And over the past couple of weeks, uh, we felt that we were doing a good job of uh, uh, holding our own because packing plants were moving. We had that great demand. Uh, we were seeing a, a little bit more aggressive bidding out in the countryside. Uh, but now with packing plants, uh, this one in Soderton in particular, shutting down and the potential to see that spread, uh, I, I'm, I'm concerned, gravely concerned. What about the trucking portion of the supply chain, and what are you seeing there? You know, that uh, same thing. It's just a matter of, of keeping truck drivers healthy. That's a little bit easier because they don't have the same daily exposure that a, a worker in a packing plant does, but they still have exposure at every stop that they make. So making sure that they stay healthy is important. But as far as regulations and waivers, I think we've done a great job of getting as many of those in place as we possibly can in order to keep product moving. And so the uh, stories that we're seeing from across the country is that trucks are starting to catch up, get the loads delivered to help get the uh, shelves restocked. We're talking with Colin Whittall, CEO of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Colin, also wanted to get your thoughts on the court ruling on uh, the checkoff. This is a huge win for us, Mike. We're really excited about this. This is something we've spent several years and uh, a lot of money defending. And to get this decision from the judge on Friday that basically supports the checkoff and, more importantly, says that the USDA oversight is adequate to make sure that uh, the, the money is being spent properly is uh, is a huge win. Uh, when you look through this particular um, decision by the judge, a lot of times they have clerks write their decisions. This one is definitely written by the judge who was looking at it, and it's very strong. I think um, RCAP's really going to have to think twice before they appeal. Uh, they, they very well have that opportunity. They've got 60 days to make that decision, but we think that this was a extremely strong decision out of the court that supports that the checkoff is being implemented correctly, that the funds are being spent correctly, and more importantly, that there is adequate oversight to ensure that all that is being done. And finally, Colin, during these uh, uncertain times and uh, everyone trying to seek some kind of balance or, or, or normalcy where they can find it, uh, what are you saying to your members? Uh, what message do you want to get out to them? Wash your hands. Take this very seriously. I think as we see this grow and we're starting to see some direct impact on us in rural America, uh, hopefully that is resonating, that this is not to be trifled with. We need to make sure we get out of this. So uh, make sure you're well-stocked on food. Uh, stay at home the best you can. The best place to be probably right now is in the pickup truck on horseback or in the tractor and just try to ride this out. And uh, we are on duty to continue to do everything we can to protect cattle producers across this country. Is there anything else you're talking with administration or congressional uh, officials that you would like to see done when it comes to the beef industry during this time? Yeah, right now, Mike, it's focused on taking the money that was included in the CARES Act, the stimulus package, and getting that implemented as quickly as possible and trying to make sure that it gets out to all segments of our industry. When I say all segments of our industry, I mean feeders, stockers, cow-calf producers, seed stock operators. It's not going to go to packers. It's going to go to the producers. We need to make sure that that is as equitable a system as we can possibly get. So we are having conversations with uh, uh, Robert Johansson, who's the USDA chief economist, 
and also several undersecretaries over there to try to get them some ideas on how we can get that done and also make sure that they understand they need to get this out quickly. This is not something that can wait for six months to get payments out. We need to get payments out just as quick as we can. All right, Colin. Thank you very much for being with us. Take care, and we'll stay in touch. Thank you, Mike. Colin Woodall, CEO of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Well, as you've probably heard, National Pork Producers Council, for the second year in a row, has had to cancel World Pork Expo. We'll talk with Jim Monroe with the National Pork Producers Council about that decision next on AOA. Weeds want to restrict your freedom and crush the spirit of your soybeans. Never fear. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of superior weed control is here with Liberty Herbicide. Stand proud with greater application flexibility, unmatched convenience, and excellent performance combined with the Liberty Link, Liberty Link GT27, and Enlist E3 trait systems. And it has no known resistance in U.S. row crops. Talk with your BASF rep or authorized retailer about Liberty Herbicide. Always read and follow label directions. information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, for the second year in a row, the National Pork Producers Council has had to cancel World Pork Expo. Here to talk about that decision is Jim Monroe, Assistant Vice President of Communications for the National Pork Producers Council. Jim, thanks for joining us. I know this was a, a tough decision, but uh, given the, the state of things today, I, every, I think everyone understands why you had to make the decision. Yeah, thanks for having me, Mike. It is a um, tough decision. I think we had uh, just reached the point where exhibitors and others involved in the event were going to start planning in earnest and making investments in the show and starting to make their arrangements. And it was just the right time to, to make the decision and remove what was, I think, pretty obvious uncertainty around the event and allow our producers to focus on the essential role that they play in the food distribution system. But uh, everyone's disappointed. We certainly are at NPPC. And especially the fact that it's two years in a row. Yes. Uh, last year, you know, out of an abundance of caution due to the um, emerging threat of African swine fever, and I would say this year, out of a really out of a sense of responsibility for the human health uh, crisis that we're currently in, and just doing our part to make sure that we uh, get through this period and get back to our normal state as quickly as possible. And you know, we're looking forward to hosting World Pork Expo in 2021. Obviously, a show of that size the logistical uh, part of it was going to be so big. That's why you had to make the announcement as soon as you, you did, because uh, there's so many factors involved in putting together a show like that. And a lot of people had to be, uh, uh, had to have some certainty about what was going to happen. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, We were right at the point where, as I said earlier, planning was going to begin in earnest and um, it, it was just the right time to make the decision. We were, you know, questions were starting to emerge and, I think it was pretty obvious in looking around at the COVID-19 situation that it was the, it's the right decision to make. And, um, you know, we're fortunate that we can make it now and allow folks not to be too deep into their planning process. And again, um, as you know, with uh, all food and agriculture, including pork production being deemed 
essential by the Department of Health, um, uh, by DHS, Homeland Security. Um, you know, it's, it allows our producers to focus on what they do best, and that's raising hogs and providing pork, and that's what we're really focused on right now. The, the supply chain is running, and we're really focused on avoiding any disruption to that, that supply chain right now. Yeah, and I was thinking about this for, for pork producers, for the pork industry. Of course, you're, you're dealing, as we all are, with COVID-19, but you were already working on, and fortunately, so far, successful at keeping African swine fever out of the country, but that threat is still there, too. Absolutely. I, you know, the good news is, I think, relative to African swine fever, uh, thanks to the USDA, thanks to the industry, um, Customs and Border Protection, we're in a much stronger position relative to African swine fever from a biosecurity point of view at our at our borders and just awareness levels than we were, the, you know, 18 months ago or you know when it first broke in in China. Uh, so that is we're we're continue to focus on that. We can't take our eye off that ball. Um, you know, we've seen legislation recently passed that authorizes more agriculture inspectors at our borders and. Uh, so that's good news, and and you know we're we're that uh, that is remains a a top domestic priority is to prevent African swine fever and other foreign animal diseases from from entering our country. That would obviously be catastrophic right now. I remember saying, uh, you know, for some time uh, when we were talking about African swine fever, that even with all of our measures that fortunately so far have worked, I said it reminds us how vulnerable we still are. And now COVID-19 has really been a wake-up call to all of us about how vulnerable we are to these viruses. Absolutely. Um, I, I think you're absolutely right. And it's also, it's also put a spotlight on other challenges we've faced um, in agriculture, and particularly in livestock agriculture, certainly uh, in pork production, and that's the labor shortage uh, that exists in agriculture. Um, you know, this is really... Um, we, we NPPC has really turned up the volume on the importance of addressing uh, this challenge. We need solutions that work for non-seasonal agriculture, like pork production. Um, you know, again, the supply chain, we're not in crisis right now, but uh, the strain that we have faced because of the labor shortage is just more severe right now. Um, we've had some disruption in TN visas being um, those are visas from workers that we depend on from Mexico. Those have, those have slowed down. And, you know, more than ever, you can see that we need visa reform that works for livestock agriculture. And so we're – a lot of our discussions right now at the, with, with uh, USDA, with members of Congress and, and others in, in, in the administration is, is to renew the, the importance um, of those solutions right now. We've talked about the importance of keeping that supply chain open, and, and we hear about concerns about workers and processing plants. What if they get sick? And we've heard about one plant, a beef plant, uh, that has that issue now. Uh, that's another area that we don't probably don't talk enough about. I mean, we already had a labor shortage, and if you start getting people on our operations and our ag operations across the country, if they're sick. It's, you don't have a lot of people to replace them with that can step in and do some of that work. That's exactly right, and that's what I mean by uh, the additional strain that's being placed on the industry. Yeah, and, and the labor, you're exactly right, Mike. The labor shortage I referred to isn't restricted on farm. It's also very severe with our plants. And uh, so, yeah, that we need we need that reform not only for the for farm workers, but for workers in our plants. And you know, fortunately, we all know this is not a foodborne illness. 
Um, I think there is good understanding with federal and state regulators um, that, first of all, we already have very strong biosecurity uh, practices on our farms and our plants, and um, you know, any infection in a, at, a, at a plant doesn't necessarily need it, mean it needs to shut down, but obviously losing workers would put a strain on an already mm-hmm. um, a, a system that already lacks a, a good sustained access to workers. Well, Jim, thanks for being with us. We'll look forward to World Pork Expo in 2021 then, okay? Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it. Be safe. Be well. Thank you. Jim Monroe, Assistant Vice President Communications for the National Pork Producers Council. USDA numbers today. We'll go over those tomorrow and, of course, more on COVID-19. Hope you'll join us again tomorrow right here on AOA. Stay safe, everyone.